In the Ferrari and Jaguar, switching four lanes with the top down, screaming out, money ain't a thing. Bubble hard in the double law, flash the rings with the window crack, holla back, money ain't a thing. Welcome to the Celebrity Network Podcast. Uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. As you've ever, if anyone who's ever visited Celebrity Network has probably noticed that I'm kind of obsessed with really nice cars. Everyone is. I mean, if you visit Celebrity Network, you're probably obsessed with Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and uh, everything Porsches. But I'm especially interested in classic, classic supercars, like a old school Ferrari or an old school Benz, like anything like that. Especially when you hear about them going off at auction for millions of dollars. And if you look at the list of the most expensive cars ever sold at auction, three out of the top 10 were sold by a company called Gooding and Company based in Santa Monica, California. Most recently, Gooding and Company sold a Ferrari at the Pebble Beach Concourse d'Elegance for $15 million. That was just a couple months ago. So on the line today right now, we've got a friend, a friend of mine named Morgan, Cardi, who, Morgan Carter, who is a vice president at Gooding and Company. Morgan, are you there? Hey, Brian. How's it going? Pretty good. So I thought it'd be pretty fun to have a just very simple conversation with Morgan. Kind of going, it's actually a conversation that we had over Facebook message about a year ago that I want to kind of set up real quick. So I'm walking down the streets in Los Angeles and I see this like stunning old Ferrari. It's like absolutely gorgeous to take photos of it. And then the guy who, who clearly owns it because he's coming out and he looks like a rich dude he walks by and I, I can't help but ask him. I said, like, what kind of car is that? Like, what kind of Ferrari is that? And he kind of brushes me off and he says, oh, it's a, it's a 365, I think, 1968. So I take a couple photos of it and I send them to Morgan over Facebook. And it was just a very simple question. I wanted to know from Morgan, like, what, what does a car like this cost? And like, how does somebody go about buying a car? So we had a really cool Facebook conversation, and then when we started doing this podcast, it's always been on my mind to talk to Morgan. So Morgan, can you kind of explain to us very generally what you do for Gooding, what Gooding does, and like sort of anything cool that you want to say about what your job does? It's a pretty cool job, I think. Yeah, of course. So Gooding and Company is in this rare collector car space where we sell pretty much uh, collector and classic cars that are really at the top end of the market. We've sold cars as old as the, uh, in fact, we sold the oldest authenticated car in the world, an 1886 De Dion steam car. Um, and we've sold brand new, you know, we sold a BMW i8 before it was available to the public. We've sold um, Bugattis and Bentleys before they're available to the public. So we really run the gamut of what's available out there. Um, what I do for the company, I run finance and operations. I uh, we do about three events nationally around the U.S. every year, one in California, one in Arizona, one in Florida, really where the uh, most of the big collectors are. And what we do is we gather up uh, consignments. We run around the country trying to visit all these different collectors who have cars. We talk them into selling their cars. They consign it to our auction. We put together a wonderful event, bringing together some of the you know richest collectors and some of the most discerning collectors that there are. And uh, bring them all together for these three events every year, one of which is Pebble Beach Concord Elegance that we're the official sponsor, uh, official auction house sponsor for. So uh, we've got the right affiliations. We've got sort of the right uh, groups of people looped in. And uh, we've been operating for about 10 years and uh, doing, doing very well for ourselves, given the uh, how much the market has uh, grown recently. That's awesome. So do you guys buy the cars from these people and then sell them? Or are you a middleman who convinces the person who already owns the car 
to let you list it, then you take a fee for being that middleman. Yeah, so essentially it's that middleman auction. Um, so what, it's called consignment auctions, and pretty much all the auctions that you see on TV, on Speed Network, or uh, or whatever that channel's become now, um, it's the Bear Jacksons, the Meekum auctions, RM auctions, Bonham's auctions, Good and Company. Those are pretty much all the premier auctions in the U.S. right now. And all of those auctions are based on a consignment method where, you know, you get an old-time collector, you get a dealer, who uh, wants to run the car through the auction. So they can sign the car to the auction house. The auction house essentially makes a cut uh, when the car comes up for auction, uh, when it finds a new buyer, and uh, send the car on to the new buyer, send the money on to the seller, and then we move on to our next auction. So that's that's pretty much how our model works. That's awesome. How many um, cars at any given time are you guys working with or working on? Like, What is your office like? Is your office like a big garage with amazing cars everywhere or is it like a pretty standard office building and the cars are somewhere else? Oh, we have a very standard office building. Um, you mean you <laughs> walk in thinking it was a uh, insurance salesman's office, but, uh, what we do, the people we're on the phones with, that's where, um, that's where the difference is between us and sort of a regular office. Um, what we sort of focus on is trying to get the best of the best. So, uh, whereas a lot of the other auction houses um, sort of have the focus of a particular segment of cars, we luckily get to focus on really the best cars that are out there. So, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. Um, we sell all those. Uh, certainly sell the best of what's out there. Ferraris probably make up about 20% of what we sell. Um, you, we sell Jags and BMWs as well, vintage BMWs. And pretty much the only times that those will come through our sales when you get the best Say, for example, Jag XK140 or the best BMW uh, 3.0. So those types of cars, um, we definitely get to deal a lot in. But for the most part, we, you know, there's other companies that do American muscle cars, Camaros and Mustangs better than we do. So we stay away from that category and focus on cars that had, you know, a lot of success in the 30s, 40s and 50s, um, cars that had tremendous, or marks rather, that had tremendous racing success. Uh, and really focus on those types of cars that have a value that goes just beyond the story of that one particular model. You know, a lot of the cars we sell have come from companies that have histories that go long beyond just a particular model and have, you know, go back to pre-World War One, pre-World War Two. Um, right. Really interesting stories of how their uh, designers came about to bring the cars to fruition. So... Do you know, so did you work with the work on the the Ferrari that sold at Pebble Beach last year for fifteen million? It was like a two fifty California, I think. Yeah, so we had a what was that? It was a two fifty California Spider. I believe it was a long wheelbase. Uh, Pretty much exactly like the car in Ferris Bueller. I mean, it looks like exactly like it. Yes. So the two fifty Cal Spider is the car you saw in Ferris Bueller. They only made about a hundred of them. Um, I think the number was like one hundred and three, one hundred and four. About half of which were short wheelbase, um, and half of which were long wheelbase. So the difference between the two cars is about four inches in length, but uh, it's it's made up in sort of overall look. So a long wheelbase car, um, generally people who prefer a, a better looking uh, open wheel car prefer that version. It's got nice, uh, you know, covered headlights, as they call it, is the, is the most desirable model. Uh, but the short wheelbase had more success on the track. It was uh, much more successful during that time. I think they produced them over about four years. And uh, so of the hundred or so Cal Spiders, probably um, 20 or so have come up for auction in the last six years or so. And those have climbed in price from, 
I think I saw my first Cal Spider sell back in 08 or 07 rather for, you know, three, three and a half million. And then there was the one we sold just recently for, I think, yeah, just around 15 million. So the wow. cars are really taken off in price. Um, and funny enough, the, the Cal Spider you're talking about, the Ferris Bueller one, that was a fiberglass model. It wasn't actually a Cal Spider. So, oh, thank God. <laughs> um, everyone, everyone thinks about that car and thinks about that as a vintage Ferrari, but uh, good thing they didn't drop the uh, real model back into that valley, that canyon. <laughs> well, so what would, okay, so you mentioned that one Cal Spider, and I'm not going to just totally focus on Ferraris, but just in this example, the Cal Spider that you guys saw, uh, sold in 2007 for $3 million versus the one that you guys just recently sold for $15 million, is it a timing issue? Is it like where the world is? is there, are, were those cars very different in terms of like quality or mileage? No, if you if you were to sell that three and a half, three three and a half million dollar car that we sold in '07, if you were to bring that to the market today, that car would easily be twelve to fifteen million dollars. Um, and the reason being is what the market has done with the high end collector cars in the last six seven years. Um, yeah. Certainly, while the rest of the world is reeling from the um, you know the economy taking a hit during uh, '08 '09. The collector car industry was sort of seeing a, a renaissance period where um, the cars that, uh, you know, if, for example, a Mustang that had 40,000, 50,000 models made per year, mm-hmm. those saw a tremendous drop off in price. But cars that maybe only had 100 models or maybe only 30 models were ever made, those cars took off during that period. Basically, all those collectors have said, look, there's a desirability of these cars that will always remain, no matter what happens with the economy. These cars will always have value, um, and so that's just sort of manifested itself over the last couple of years. So um, nothing's changed about the cars. I mean, a lot of these restorations were done in the 80s, 90s, maybe early 2000s, uh, and nothing's really changing about these cars. It's just a matter of the appreciation of these cars, uh, not just in terms of money value, but in terms of how much actual collectors really care about the history of the cars and what they were able to do on the racetrack and what they meant for the design of cars in general. I mean, a lot of the design elements that you see on a Cal Spider are really echoed through a lot of cars that you see today. But that was a car that was, you know, 50, 55 years old. So um, it's amazing sort of the longevity that a lot of those ideas have. Okay, so one thing that was really interesting to me in the Facebook conversation that we had was you had some advice, I think, more... Like, once I asked you how much a car like this, the one that I had seen in the streets, you said it was going to be like... You sent me one, and you were like, oh, well, we're about to auction this one for $800,000. I was like, oh, I was thinking way lower than that. But you'd had some great advice in terms of, like, what what, what would you tell somebody who came to you and said, like, I love cars. Um, uh, maybe, maybe you've got, like, a little bit of tiny, you know, not millions of dollars, but, like, just like the average person who's maybe thinking about that, that being in their future. Is there any advice that you can give or, like, um, like types of cars that are maybe – affordable now that if you take care of them can be good investments in the long run? Of course. I mean, one of the first things that, you know, we say to our customers, whether they're, um, you know, customers who have been in the industry for years and years and years, they grew up, their fathers know it, now they're 50, 60 retiring and want to spend more of their money in cars, or you get a lot of, you know, new money guys. We do get a lot of uh, people from Silicon Valley who, um, you know, had a, a taste that they can finally, uh, you know, finally satiate with a little bit of money and they can finally buy some of the stuff that they know is some of those classic elements. One of the things we always say to all these people is you got to be in it for the passion of the industry. You got to be in it because you love cars. You can't be in it 
at this moment in time just because you think it's a wonderful investment opportunity. I mean, you hear all the time about people saying, oh, cars are an alternative investment class and they're a great way to get uh, reliable return on your money. And that's, you know, for some cars, yeah, if you buy a Bugatti, if you buy a Duesenberg, if you buy a Ferrari, that will always be the case, or maybe not always, but you'll generally have a, um, a steadiness value at the very top end of the market. But there's so much of the collective car market that, you know, it goes up, it goes down, and there's so many costs involved to owning a car that, look, you've got to be able to take all those lumps that you might get from owning a car and be able to roll with them, throw them out the window, because owning a car is the, you know, a passion that you love. Um, you know, a lot of our collectors had posters on their walls as kids. They've grown up thinking, oh, I really want to own a Chevy Corvette, a 1954 vet, that'd be perfect. And it's like, those are the clients we want. The guys who uh, really want to preserve a car, make it, uh, you know, have a, come around for the next generation. Uh, but what we don't want is for, you know, we, we see it all the time where people come in thinking they can make a quick buck and, it's just like time in the stock market. You're never going to do it right. There's always going to be somebody better than you, and the market will always act quicker than you can. So um, you certainly want to do it because you love cars first, uh, and that's the biggest thing we try to promote. Um, and when it comes to sort of the cars that people get into, you know, has, you've got taste. I mean, you, you saw that 365 sitting on the street here in Santa Monica, and that's certainly yeah. a wonderful car to get into. And certainly if you had the money at the time, yeah, you should have bought it. But uh, – that being said, um, you know, a lot of people recently are looking for, look, what's that sub $100,000 car that's going to have that 25 to 30% growth year over year? And so, that's, you know, that's a question we get all the time. And, you know, I really can't say for sure. Um, and if you're looking at post-war European sports cars, you're generally in a good, you know, setup, whether it's a Jag XK120, Jag E-Type, um, Austin Healy's. Uh, seem to be, you know, a, a pretty standard uh, model that people get into. So, you know, Austin Healy's is, is kind of an unfamiliar term to a lot of Americans, but a lot of Americans might get into the Camaros, the Mustangs. Those are the really familiar cars to, to guys like you and I. Um, and then we yeah. see a lot of progression. You know, guys will get into the Mustangs, the Camaros, the E-types, then they'll progress up the chain and they'll start collecting, you know, slightly more nuanced cars. You know, they'll collect not just uh, uh, this Corvette, not this, this Mustang rather, but this uh, Thunderbird or specific year or something that had a special meaning to them, or they'll start looking for particular uh, features on a car that, you know, Ford or Chevy brought out thereafter. So people will start becoming nuanced. It takes a number of years. We've seen, you know, I've seen a number of clients who go from being, you know, a guy who's into American muscle cars who then goes into late 60s and early 70s Formula One race cars. That's about <laughs> as big of a jump as you could make. And there's, I mean, there's so much that, that the race car market is totally different from collector car market. So it's, you know, as soon as people jump in sort of at that early stage and go for, um, you know, Camaros or Mustangs, I, I think the really hot segment right now is to go and probably from as far as three or four years ago, it's to go after the 911s. Um, I mean, they've made over a million 911s, but it's been just an amazing mark, uh, amazing model over the years. Uh, so many different variations to it. Um, the early 70s, you know, 3.0 RS lightweight, uh, those cars are selling for over a million dollars now, but you can still get into a 911, you know, late 70s, early 80s, 
911s for, I mean, you can still find a good quality one for $30,000, $40,000. And that's a car that should be able to sustain its value. And at least if nothing else, um, grow your love for, for the, yeah. for the hobby and, and trying to get into other cars. So when you say right there, um, a quality one, what, what kind of things like what I mean, so there's a million things that you guys look for, but what are some very basic things that someone would want to look out for if they saw a Porsche 911 for $40,000 to determine if it was good or bad? Well, I mean, you're going to look for the same things that you'd look for if you were to buy a, you know, 2009 Honda Civic right off the street. If the cars had a paint job, there's probably some reason it had a paint job. It was, you know, either in a car accident or maybe somebody left it unattended for a number of years in a saltwater type environment and it just got really rusted out. So, you know, you want to look for originality. Originality in good condition. That's obviously the number one part. So people who have replaced a lot of things over the years, it's either the car was in bad condition for a while or they really abused the car. So looking for originality, and certainly if you're looking for something from late 70s or early 80s, it should be pretty original. For someone to do a restoration on a car like that is pretty ludicrous. So mm-hmm. uh, most cars like that, you're going to see very light work have, having been done to them. You want to see low mileage. I mean, even late 70s, early 80s, as I'm saying, those cars, I mean, you want to see them under 80, 70,000 miles. And it's not a lot of miles in those cars, but that's what you want to see. Those are the kind of cars you want to go after. Um, after that, you start looking at, um, you know, seeing what sort of provenance it might have had if, uh, you know, being in one sing- single ownership over the last uh, 30 years, all belonging to one guy who bought it straight from a Porsche dealer here in Los Angeles. I mean, that's, that's a good story that, you know, cars been in a good home. Cars that have bounced around for, you know, seven or eight owners in the last 30 years, those maybe not so good at cars because they have stories that are going to be hidden, which you may not want to uncover. Um, right. So, I mean, I think, you know, and after that, it, it really gets down to if you're so nuanced that you have a particular, you know, paint type or paint code that you want from the fact that you're looking for that specific gold metallic um, paint that they only made, you know, 34 of that were shipped to the U.S. and you're going to try to find one of those, then you get start getting down into real specifics and looking for specific features on cars. But for the most part, you just want a car that doesn't look like it's been abused and it looks like it's been cared for by its owner. And a lot of times, especially in this hobby, you know, you get a lot of people who love what they do. You get a lot of dealers who just trying to shuffle cars through. But the best part about this hobby is you really find that it's driven by the end users who care so much about the individual car that they want to do what they can. And whatever reason came to be for them wanting to sell it, they may just pass it on to you. So that's awesome. So, okay, here's a hypothetical for you. You just win the lottery, you won Powerball, $200 million, and it's like $100 million after taxes in your bank account. Morgan Carter, talk us through your dream garage. $200 million, that gives you a lot of room. $100 million after taxes, $100 million after taxes. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, you got, you got, to, you got to reel it in a little bit. <laughs> $100 million after taxes, all right, we don't want to be too ridiculous here, we'll call it $100 million. Right. Um, so I think iconic car you want to go after right away would be uh, Ferrari 250 GTO, uh, late 50s, early 60s. They only made, I think, 33, 34 of them. Um, one recently sold for $38 million, and There's rumors one sold for $52 million. So that's always going to eat right into your money right away. You've already spent half your money, but it's your money yeah, to spend. Let's do it. Let's call it $40 million. You can find a good 250 GTO. Someone will walk away from theirs for $40 million. Okay. So I think that's a good investment. I think the next one I'd go after would be 
uh, modern, essentially the modern race car, uh, street legal race car, McLaren F1, um, yeah. built in the mid nineties. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of guys our age know, know those cars. They're very iconic. Um, and those cars have taken off in price. And again, the, you know, I, I find myself uh, struggling to say, all right, well, should I go for the one that is going to be the best for my bank account or should I go for a garage that's the most fun? So the good thing about the McLaren, it covers both ends of it. I mean, that car has got to be the most fun car there is to drive. Just YouTube that McLaren F1. You're going to find the most amazing videos of those cars on the racetrack. Um, can't think of a more fun car than that. But it's about $10 million, maybe $11 million worth for a road-going version of that. So, all right, instantly we're at $50 million out of our $100 yeah, million. Um, <laughs> What else do I go after? I'd go after a uh, Bugatti Type 35 um, Grand Prix race car from the uh, late 20s. Um, those are fr- French race cars, open wheel. I um, mean, the, the stories of guys racing those things, you know, at 80, 90, 100 miles an hour around just these crazy racetracks in France, uh, got to be just some of the craziest stories. So you'd probably pick one of those up for... Two million, uh, Jaguar uh, uh, race car D type probably uh, competed in the early fifties. Um, say Ferrari, uh, you know any any racing Ferrari from the late fifties all the way through uh, early mid late sixties. I mean it's just you can't go wrong. Uh, Two fifty short wheelbase, as I mentioned earlier, I think that's a great great car. Yeah. Um, one of the cars that uh, I think is just absolutely beautiful. Um, and I'd actually be, in all honesty, well, I'll call it the second car I'd buy, uh, Ferrari 275 uh, GTB 4-cam um, that came in both a steel body as well as an alloy body. I'd take either. Uh, alloy body is probably worth $3.5, $4 million. Steel body is probably worth 2 Honestly, that, that car is, to me, I mean, it just screams. Google that, too. Ferrari I'm looking at it right now. I just Googled it. It's, 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 I mean, it's a beautiful me, car. It's got this muscular structure that just screams manliness, but that car moves. I mean, 275 V12, 275 cc's per cylinder and a V12 engine, looking at 3.3 liters of just screaming power. You can't really can't go wrong with that car. Oof, but this is you know, how much would this set you back? To, uh, you could go two two million to get entry level, uh, maybe one and a half. But uh, alloy body, you go four million, and um, Actually, I'll break into another story. Luigi Canetti was the uh, famous North American uh, Ferrari dealer based in New York. He actually had uh, 10 275s made that he called the NART Spiders, M-A-R-T Spider, stands for North American Racing Team. He had Ferrari make them from the factory as a Spider instead of as a coupe. Um, and he only made 10 of them, and one recently sold for, I think, actually just about 12 months, over 12 months ago. Uh, sold for $27 million. So you get such a range on that one car with one engine. Uh, there's just such a range of what you could do with it. And really, at that point, it comes down to the nuanced collector. But uh, for me, the first car, I, I still don't have a, a collector car. I'm still looking around. Maybe it'll be a 911. Um, I think I'm looking at a uh, Chevy Apache or Ford F100 pickup truck. I think that's the perfect car for me. Throw my surfboard in the back, stroll down to the beach, and... Uh, uh, I think that's just the best way to go. But uh, my second car would definitely be a Ferrari. That's awesome. Um, yeah, this is this is this is such a cool. Uh, this is a great answer. I was hoping you would give us a list like that. I'm gonna Google all of these when I'm when we're done with this. 
Um, okay, so without naming any, you don't have to like get in, into like specifics, but do you have any cool stories of like insane collectors who you've met and like what their collections are and like have you ever gone into a person's house like you know you've heard stories about Jay Leno he wakes up in his bedroom and takes an elevator straight down and there's just like a garage that is humongous full of cars have you ever seen anything like that in person that you can talk you know, about you always hear about collectors like that and then you get a chance to sort of to run through their collections I never got down to see it but there's a a big collector down in Texas a couple of years ago who had, it was rumored that he had 1,300 cars in his collection. And we're not just talking about, you know, 1,300 Datsuns and Nissans. We're talking about, you know, really fine quality Rolls-Royce, Silver Ghost, and whatnot. So uh, apparently those cars were split between just industrial building after industrial building down in Texas. Um, so that was an amazing collection I heard of. I, there's also, um, you know, one of the first collectors who really started the craze was uh, Bill Hara. And those on the West Coast might know Hara's Casino up in uh, Reno as well as in Vegas. Bill Hara had, was pretty much the most prominent collector there was in the 70s and 80s. Uh, he passed away and his whole collection was liquidated. So you see a lot of people now will be selling cars and they'll sell the cars. And then the advertisements or the description you'll see used to be part of the Hara's collection. So, um, you know, and that guy had over a thousand cars in his collection. So you hear of these enormous collections, um, but the really cool collections are when you see, you you walk into a garage, it's it's a meticulous garage. I mean, not an ounce of dust anywhere in it. And the guy's got, you know, five racing Ferraris on one side and five racing Ferraris on the other side. He only buys red Ferraris. The Ferraris, you know, depending on who was racing, they came in all different colors, but he was, He's like, I'm only going to buy Ferraris that are raced by the Ferrari race, you know, by the factory racing team. So his his particular penchant for cars is so specific. <laughs> and the fact that he goes after Ferraris raced by the race, racing by the factory racing team means, you know, the average car in that room is probably worth five million dollars, and he's got ten of them. Um, Whoa! So every now and then you just walk into these rooms, you're like, wow, this is a really special place. Not only in terms of the value of the cars. But more importantly, you just saying like there's so much history in this room. The people who've raced behind the wheels of all these different cars are just the you know the names in the top echelons of racing hall of fame, Formula One history back in the day. You know, Fangio, um, Hill, uh, Sterling Moss, all those names you see you know you see them written on the sides of some of these cars or in the descriptions about them, and it's just you really get a sense of you know the majesty and history that a lot of these cars had. So. Uh, really gets gets to feel special about some of them, but you know, going back to the celebrities, you know, we we see them a lot, but a lot of those big time celebrities that a lot of people think are are big time collectors, you know, they don't like buying at public auctions, and Goodman Company runs a public auction, so we don't see a lot of those big guys like for privacy reasons. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to they don't want everyone seeing them raising their hand and uh, and bidding a lot of money on a car, so they just uh, they sort of keep to themselves, and uh, and the guys who appear at our auctions are are really some of the you know, uh, well-known collectors, but not so not so known as celebrities. But um, certainly, if, if you're in the collector car community and you sort of follow this and you read some of the publications that are sort of catered to this group, you recognize a lot of the names uh, and some of the same names after a while. And it's, it's those names that are really doing a lot to, um, you know, keep the industry vibrant, but also to keep the hobby alive and to keep you know the younger groups, younger kids, and whatnot. Um, trying to get them into the hobby and, and interested in, in sort of what vintage cars and collector cars are and, and how important they are to sort of where we are today. That's so cool. 
Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. This has been one of my favorite conversations in a long time. Um, what are some cool auctions that you guys have cooking right now? Any, any cars up for sale that pretty hot? Yeah, we've got um, two auctions. Our next auction is coming up. We've got Scottsdale in uh, mid-January. We're one of uh, six auction houses out there. So the Barrett-Jackson, Meekum, RM Auctions, all those guys will be out there. But we'll be out there as well. Um, over the last six of the last seven years, we've sold the most expensive car out there each of those weeks. So uh, I guarantee we'll have something lined up. We should be, be able to announce something on our website shortly, actually, goodingco.com. Um, and then in addition to that, we'll have our Florida auction coming up actually only about six or seven weeks after that. So, uh, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. We get a lot of our consignments from North America, but a ton of cars come over from Europe. So even for collectors in the industry, um, sort of what we bring to auction is sometimes, you know, never before seen, you know, we pulled it out of a barn, uh, or somebody pulled it out of a barn in Switzerland or France and, uh, shipped it over to our sales in Arizona and Florida. So, um, you know, our, our sales are a little bit smaller, but they're really for uh, really discerning collectors. And, and if anyone, you know, jumps on our website or discovers us a little bit, you'll find out that the cars we sell are just top, top quality. And, you know, we probably for, for a Scott sale auction coming up, we'll have 100, 120 cars in our sale. Uh, but we probably considered 600, 700 cars before we kind of curate down to a sale that we uh, pull together. So, um, you know, it'll be the usual suspect, a lot of E-types and, uh, uh, and Ferraris, but um, I know we've got a Porsche 959, uh, 959S actually, which is a late 80s car. It was actually banned in the U.S. for a while because it didn't meet uh, uh, emissions restrictions, but uh, they only made 25, 26 of these cars, and they're one of the most desirable Porsches that there is, so we got one of those. So, uh, yeah, you should be able to see us, and we'll probably be on the uh, – uh, a lot of the tickers coming up in January once uh, a bunch of our cars set uh, some world record prices again. Yep, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Well, thanks again, Morgan, for sitting uh, for chatting with us tonight. Uh, maybe we'll chat again at some point after one of the auctions to check in to see how things turned out. And uh, I'm just really glad that we could get all this information. It's super helpful. Um, Absolutely, Brian. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so that was the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much to Jameson Bennett for producing us. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.